We're starting a brand new series today, and I'm so pumped about it because uh, we want to help you win relationally. And I wrote this down in my notes, and this is kind of a key tagline for the next three weeks, actually. My mom and I are going to be preaching this series, and so if you're looking forward to next week, Pastor Stacy's going to be talking about toxic relationships. It's going to be so important and imperative that you get that teaching. And then the following week, we're actually going to tag team all together. I'm so excited about it, but we're launching a brand new series, and we're calling it Blame Throwers. Blame Throwers. I'm so excited about it. Um, but listen, write this down in your notes. The only way to win relationally is if you live responsibly. The only way to live relationally and win relationally is if you live responsibly and with intentionality. And as pastors, both professionally and just personally, we've seen a lot of people don't know how to put relational boundaries into their life. And that's what we want to help you with for the next few weeks. And uh, today is kind of the intro message, just a little intro to what we're going to talk through a little bit. But I want to introduce you to one principle and uh, really one just kind of idea that I want to instill into your life. And I pray it really marks you and impacts you internally. Uh, but then I want to give you six ideas, six areas that we are all responsible for. That's what I'll get into today. But go to uh, Genesis chapter 3. Uh, Genesis chapter 3, starting in verse 6. That's where I'm going to be. As you turn there, hopefully you brought your Bibles. If you didn't, we got a big Bible on the screen. Uh, my name is Devin. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, it's an honor to have you in church. And thanks so much for tuning in online. For all of our church family, I love you guys so much. I miss you so much. I can't wait to see you at a city group. I can't wait to see you in person at some point soon. But we love you guys. You're the best. Uh, now, I need you to engage with me in the chat. Make sure you throw some fire emojis out there. Throw a 100 emoji in there. Just holla back at me. I need to see that uh, you're engaging with us. Genesis chapter 3, verse 6, it says this. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye, and desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. Now, uh, biblically speaking, theologically speaking, this is what we call the original sin. This is the first sin committed, and this is what got us into the predicament that we are in now. This introduced death, this introduced curses, this introduced sickness into our world. This is the original sin. And it's really interesting in here because it says it was pleasing to the eye. The fruit was pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. And she took it and she ate it. And she also gave it to her husband. Now, how many know this? That just because somebody, something looks delectable or delightful, it can also be dangerous. Just because things look good doesn't mean they are good. They can be maybe good for your stomach, but bad for your soul. And so, so many things in here tell us that we have to be cautious with our diet. We have to be cautious with it. And so she also gave some to her husband. Watch. Who was with her? And she ate it. Now we're going to come back to that in a few more minutes. Let's, let's pop down a little bit. God sees that. He says, who told you you're naked in the garden? Who, what, what happened? And then the man said, the woman you put me here with, she gave it to me. What was Adam's first responsibility and first response in responding to God calling him out for his sin, he said, the woman did it. It was her fault. So he blamed her. And what did Eve do? He turns to Eve. He says, is this true? And the man said, oh, the woman put you here with me. She gave him some fruit and I ate it. Then the Lord said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate it. So she blamed somebody else. And so what we see in this passage is we see the original sin committed. Adam was with Eve. We're going to get into that in a minute. Adam was with Eve, but Eve took the fruit and she ate it. And Adam blamed the woman. The woman blamed the serpent. And everybody's blaming each other. 
And this is what caused so much of humanity's issues. It's not just that sin was committed, but no responsibility was taken. They were blaming each other. And that's what I want to talk about today is the idea of blame throwers. Let's pray. Father, we love you. Thank you, Jesus, for what you're doing in our church. I pray that this message sinks down deep into the hearts and the souls of every single person. I pray that all of us would reject blaming other people and we would learn how to take responsibility for our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. I remember uh, being in the Dominican Republic. We, we have a missions house down there. It is absolutely incredible. If you haven't been to the Dominican Republic yet, you have to go. It's incredible. So I'm leading this missions team. I'm with several of my friends. Uh, one of my best friends, his name is Mike Turpak. You've seen him doing some Connect News. He's at the Marlboro City Group. And uh, I love that guy to death. Uh, many people know him, affectionately known him as bald and beautiful. He's 26 years old. He is bald as a naked mole rat. It's my guy. But, hey, we got we to gotta pray for some, you know, hair follicles to grow in the name of Jesus. Come on, I receive that right now, Michael, in Jesus' name. So I'm walking on the beach with Mike. We're with a few friends. We just were in the water. We were just hanging out. We had a long day of uh, missions training, and, and we were just taking care of people, loving on kids, serving some schools. It was awesome. So we're going on the beach at night, and we're walking down the beach, and we're right along where the, you know, the shore comes up, and the sand's a little uh, uh, moldable. And so he's walking ahead of me. I'm behind him. And then he hits, and he feels this sand hit him on the back of the head, in the back of his bald burning head that's a new one that's a new triple b bald burning head and so he has this sandal it imprints into the sand and then what happened was this sandal kept kicking him up in the back of the head and putting sand on the back of his head now he thought i was behind him and he thought i was just kicking sand on his face and so he looks at me the first time he just goes dude what's up i go i was like what's up he's like i'm like dude what what's that look for bro He's like, whatever. Starts walking again. Next step, he looks back at me. He goes, Def, what are you doing? I go, Mike, what do you, what do you mean what am I doing? What are you doing? And then I start watching him. And then the third time around, he sees this happening. He thinks that I'm kicking sand at him. And I'm watching it. And I'm like, dude, bro, your sandals are kicking sand at the back of your head. You're a doofus. Meanwhile, he's thinking to himself, Dev is just back there just being a jerk, just kicking sand at the back of my head. And eventually he just turns around and he goes, Dev, stop kicking sand on my head. And I go, bro, you're a goof because you're the one kicking sand at yourself. Come on, this has spiritual implications to it. How many know? So many of us, we are blaming other people for our problems. But the reality is you're the one that's hurting yourself. Oh, my goodness. You're the one that's hurting yourself. It is not somebody else that's throwing sand at your life. It's not somebody else that's throwing problems at your life. Oftentimes, we blame things on the devil. We blame things on other people when the reality is the problem was not the enemy. The problem was you. We have to learn how to take responsibility for our own lives. I was reading this book, and it says this. The parking brake for progress is blame. When you are blaming other people, when you're blaming the devil, we give the devil way too much credit, by the way. When you're blaming all these other people and you don't take responsibility and you don't take inventory of what you're doing and what you're causing in that moment, it is the parking brake for improvement. Listen to me. Write this down in your notes. When blame stops, progress starts. When blame stops, progress starts. John Maxwell. The leadership guru, absolute legend. I love this man so much. I've read nearly all of his books at this point. Uh, he says this, and I want to make sure I say this right. 
He says, when you're foolish, you aim to conquer the world. But when you're wise, you aim to conquer yourself. Oh, I love that. When you're foolish, you aim to conquer the world. When you're wise, you aim to conquer yourself. And I learned this about ourselves, and this is what we want to talk about as we talk to relational boundaries and getting, uh, making sure our relationships are winning and our relationships are healthy. But we need to put boundaries in place. But the first and the hardest relationship that you will ever have in your life is not your relationship with your spouse. It's not the relationship with your kids. It's not the relationship with your clients. It's not the relationship with your boss. It's not the relationship... In any other area, it's the relationship with you. If you want to master the world, you first have to master yourself. And that's what I want to talk through today, is learning how to take inventory, learning to do a little autopsy, some self-reflection, and some evaluation on, am I taking responsibility for my life? Because so much of my life's problems are a result of one common denominator, me. And that's what I want to talk through for the next few minutes today. Um, But first, let's review the text that we read in Genesis chapter 3. Because watch this. This is wild, and not many people notice this. But God spoke to Adam, not Eve, about the forbidden fruit. He spoke to Adam, and he said, Adam, do not eat this tree. He did not speak to Eve. He spoke to Adam. But what do we read in chapter 3, verse 6? When the woman saw the fruit, she thought it was good for food, pleasing to the eye, desirable for gaining wisdom. She took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband. Who was with her? Adam was with Eve. He was present with Eve when she ate the fruit. In other words, he was watching her consume the very thing that God told him, do not do. So we either learn this. Either Adam did not say anything to Eve and said, don't do it. Or we find that Adam just said, I don't care, and we're eating it. Who's at fault? Matter of fact, if you go later on in Scripture, you find in 1 Timothy, you find in Romans, that it says, God says, because of one man's sin, he didn't say one woman's sin, he said, because of one man's sin, death entered the world. In other words, we find this, that God held Adam responsible for the original sin in eating of the forbidden fruit. This is wild. Because oftentimes we say, oh, it was Eve's fault. She ate the fruit. Adam was with her. He was with her. And maybe this is what's happening because God asked Adam first, what, 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 do you, what did you do? Who told you you were naked? Who told you that there's things going on, that, that this is a sin? Who told you that you should eat this fruit? And he told Adam first because Adam is the leader of the household. He is the head of the house. And Adam said, it was the woman. So here's what we have. We have a woman who was deceived. That's what 1 Timothy talks about. I believe it's in 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 13 and 14 if you want to reference Adam wasn't deceived. Eve was deceived. So Adam knew exactly what he was doing. Who's at fault here? God holds Adam responsible that because of one man's sin, death entered the world. So we have, in this story, a deceived woman and we have a passive man. You can't get a worse combination between the two. We have a deceived woman and a passive man thus enters Sin, hell, death, a curse onto this planet. Because neither one of them took responsibility. And Adam watched Eve eat the forbidden fruit. This is, this is chaos. This is, this is wild. Because oftentimes we just say, we just chalk it up. Oh, Eve, she did what she, she, it was stupid of her. 
she later maybe deceived Adam. No, Adam didn't show leadership in the moment. And so because of Adam's sin, now sin and death and curses entered the face of the planet. I, I, I want to be honest for a sec because I think it's important that just kind of as leaders, we lead from vulnerability and transparency. And to be totally honest with you, my wife and I got in a pretty, pretty bad fight the other week. Um, and I have a way with words. Uh, words are my weapons. And, uh, you know, I love, I, I preach professionally. I speak professionally. This is like my job. And so naturally what can happen sometimes is when my wife is challenging me on something, I can be very defensive and I can put it right back on her and in some ways try and convince her that she's wrong and I'm right. I've done this for some time, and essentially she just broke down, and she just says, I feel like it's always my fault. I feel like I'm failing. And I listened with my heart for the first time in a long time. Again, just being totally transparent. My wife and I are awesome right now. We're doing so good, and I'm so grateful that she shared her heart. But oftentimes in fights and in conflicts, don't act like you're not, I'm the only one that has conflicts. I know so many of us have, especially in marriages, we have conflicts. But I know in fights and conflicts, oftentimes we can get so defensive and we can blame one another. When the reality is, if you just did less finger pointing, less fingers and more thumbs. That's what one of my favorite pastors and preachers have taught me. Less fingers and more thumbs. In other words, stop pointing the problems at them and start taking responsibility for the problems that you contributed to that relationship. And watch what happens in your marriage. Watch what happens in all these relational conflicts that you're experiencing. It will get what God works wonders when people take responsibility. My parents taught me this at a young age. Talk to God, the three T's. This is great for parents. Talk to God, tell the truth, and take responsibility. I learned this at a young age, and it is such a trigger for me when somebody doesn't take responsibility, especially as a leader. That's the fastest way you know somebody is not going to get better in a relationship, is not going to get healthy, is because they're not taking responsibility for their life and for their actions. And listen to me, even if it was 99% their fault, you still own 100% of that 1% that you did. Did you hear what I just said? Come on, even if you are 99% in the right you still own 100% of that 1% that you are at fault with. That is what happens when you have relationships and you lead from the front. God works wonders when people take responsibility for their life. And people take responsibility for their actions and their sin. And we see this from our original father and mother, Adam and Eve. What first happened, we see this, is they blamed each other when God gave them an opportunity to take response. What could have happened if they took responsibility in that moment. We know how God is. We know God's character. Later on, the Bible says that the Lord created leaves and fig leaves to cover their nakedness, even though God was hurt that the serpent deceived them, that essentially Adam and Eve lied to God, that they blame shifted, they didn't take responsibility. Even when God was hurt, he covered their nakedness. He created these leaves so they would literally cover their nakedness. When God is hurt, he still cares. He still covers. He still loves so we know God's character and nature. What would have happened if they took responsibility for their actions? And honestly, I share that story with me and my wife because, one, I was totally in the wrong. And I bet you there's a lot of marriages that are watching today. There's a man watching today. And all you need to do is say three words to your wife and your relationship can get better. I was wrong. 
You put that in your inventory. Put that bullet in your mouth and shoot that out and watch what happens if you just learn how to say, I was wrong. And I just think that that phrase is so potent with power and with a serum of joy. That's what happens. Miracles happen when people take responsibility for their lives. And so I just want to ask a simple question is, what is it that we as Christians are responsible for? God gives us responsibility. And I, it's, it's time to stop blaming other people for the way your life is. Take back your life. Come on, I find some people oftentimes, they'll just say this in counseling sessions. They'll just be like, I don't, I don't really like where my life is at. Take back your life. God gives you more control than you think you have. Now, there is a side that he does. It's God's sovereignty, but there's also man's responsibility. And yes, we trust God, but God doesn't do all the work for you because he has given us principles. He has given us Jesus. He has given us his Holy Spirit. He gave us an example in Jesus. He gave us his Holy Spirit with empowerment. And he also gave us education through the scriptures. What more do you need to win and be successful in your life? So I want to ask six, I want to show you six areas in which all of us are responsible for, and God holds us responsible for at the end of our lives. Number one is this, spiritually. We are responsible spiritually. My spirit is my responsibility. I want you to say that. Would you kind of throw that in the chat right now? My spirit is my responsibility. Let me ask a simple question. Have you ever been misrepresented before? Come on, how many know that is the worst thing on the planet is when somebody misquotes you or misrepresents you or showcases a piece of your character that's not your character, but they say it was. Oh my gosh, that is the greatest pet peeve of mine on the planet. Somebody misquotes me or misrepresents me. Like, that's not my heart, and you claim it is. That's not me. I wonder how God must feel for so many of us where we have misrepresented him. Listen, God knows that he, we're not going to represent him perfectly, but he wants us to represent him properly. We are imperfect human beings, but there is a way in which he commands us and asks us to be. And it is so simple. Spiritual, spiritual mature people are not people that know a ton of Bible. Spiritually mature people are people that look like Jesus. He is our example. He is our representative. And he is who we are supposed to become like. Watch this. In Romans chapter 8, verse 29. For those that God foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed into the image of his son. What does he want us to do? To be conformed into the image of his son. To look like Jesus. Galatians chapter 4 verse 19. Do you know how I feel right now? Paul speaking to the Galatian church. And we'll feel until Christ's life becomes visible in your lives. So essentially scripture tells us time and time again. I use two examples. There are tons that simply just state we are to look like Jesus. So spiritual, here's what I wrote down. Spiritual growth isn't necessarily about doing more. It's becoming more like Jesus. God's priority is to make us like Jesus. And I wrote this down in my notes. Everybody who likes Christ, how many know this? Everybody that likes Christ isn't Christ-like. And we have to properly present the world Jesus. You've heard it before. You know, some people will never read the Bible, and you're the only Bible that they will ever read. And so I think about Michael Jordan for a second. Michael Jordan became a public phenomenon because of private disciplines. He became the GOAT because of his disciplines privately. This is all of us. And so if you only come to church and come to church online or watch them once a week, friend, you are not becoming like Jesus. Church is great. 
I love preaching sermons. I love worshiping the house of God. I love going into community. But you need so many things to be conformed into the image of Jesus. A few spiritual disciplines, praying, fasting, worshiping, studying, serving. These things will conform you into the image of his son, Jesus. This is our, this is our mandate. This is our call is to be like Jesus. And so how many have asked this question? Like, what does it look like to be spiritually mature? I think there's a perfect and simple illustration. How many know babies get fed, right? Children are learning how to feed, but adults are able to feed themselves. You want to know who is a spiritually mature person and who is not? It is somebody that does not have to have their meals made for them. It is somebody that knows how to make a meal. My food, Jesus answered, Jesus said, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes out of the mouth of God. You want to know how you're spiritually mature is if you can learn how to feed yourself. Are you practicing the spiritual disciplines, the golden habits, studying, serving, worshiping, praying, fasting? Are you practicing the presence of God to become more like his son? The goal is not to make more money. The goal is to look like Jesus. The goal is not to have more friends or more clout or more relationships. The goal is to look like Jesus and all these other things will be added unto you. Seek first the kingdom of God, the Bible says, and all these things will be added unto you. The first responsibility for us is our spirit, is spiritually. The second one is emotionally. As a youth pastor, I've just seen tons and tons of students over the years. I've probably had a thousand students in my years as a youth minister. I've been in ministry now for about nine years full-time. I've been serving a student ministry for, I don't know, 15 years, I would guess. And so I've had tons of students in and out of uh, my realm of influence. There's one particular student who's like a little brother to me. And uh, I won't mention his name because uh, kind of tragedy struck, unfortunately, just a couple years ago, a year and a half ago. But I remember he was fit as a fiddle. He was, he was healthy. He was strong. It was probably the best shape of his life he's ever been at. He was in the gym for about two years. He lost like 40, 50 pounds. He was doing awesome. He got into a tough relationship. And he had a hard relationship uh, kind of conflict. And they weren't in like a boyfriend-girlfriend relationship, but he liked her. She didn't like him. And she eventually just called him out. And she's like, I don't, I don't want to be with you anymore. And he had an emotional breakdown. That's the second area is emotionally. He had an emotional breakdown. And he ended up getting a seizure. He literally had like an emotional caused seizure. The reason I say that is because we talked to the doctors and the doctor said, physically, he's, he's in tip-top shape. He's a young man. He's about 20 years old at this time. And he, had a, he literally had like a stroke. And the doctors were like, physically, we can't identify anything. And we think it was either mental or emotional. And so he emotionally traumatized himself. Unfortunately, that started a long process for the next few years where he had tumors, stroke, and he eventually passed. Now, I say that as a very humbling story because uh, Dad and I actually did his funeral. It was one of the hardest days of my ministry, to be honest, because it was a little brother of mine. But he had some emotional battles on the inside of him where he had to capture kind of his mind. He had to make sure to master his heart. The Bible says, guard your heart above all else. One, one, one scripture says, one translation says, it's the wellspring of life. Guard your heart. And so many of us, we don't guard our hearts. And I, I had this written down. I was in the plane, I was in the airplane just yesterday. And I felt in my spirit to tell somebody this. Your private sickness is far more contagious than coronavirus ever is. 
stop silently suffering and break the curse off your family line. Let me say that one more time because I know that's for somebody. Your private sickness is far more contagious than coronavirus ever was. Stop silently suffering and break the curse off of your family. Some of us are emotionally exhausted. I saw, I saw one article I was reading. Physical exhaustion, the antidote is sleep. Spiritual exhaustion, the antidote is scripture. Faith comes from hearing and hearing the word of God. But emotional exhaustion is a result. The antidote is surgery. You need somebody trained that is carefully and surgically removing diseases or injuries and prescribing you medicine. You have to talk to somebody. Stop silently suffering. Your responsibility. You cannot call yourself spiritually mature if you are emotionally unstable. I've seen far too many people. We've talked about soul care so much as of late. I've seen far too many people ruin their lives because they did not take care of themselves emotionally. They did not guard their hearts. Guard your hearts above all else. For everything you do flows from it. Number one, spiritually. Number two, emotionally. Number three, verbally. Verbally. Yeah, see, the Bible says that you are responsible for every careless word or every empty word that comes out of your mouth, which means all of us should take careful inventory of the words that we are speaking. I did this message. uh, I did this spoken word, actually, on YouTube not too long ago. Uh, I have a YouTube channel. Like and subscribe, holla at your boy. Uh, but I did a YouTube channel, and uh, it was Word War Three, is what I call it. Not, not World War Three, Word War Three, The battle of your words. I remember it, I, uh, I was writing it out because I just believe in the power of words. Like, I'm a wordsmith. Words matter to me a lot. Somebody changed my, my life because of the words they spoke over me. They prophesied over me. They declared greatness over me, and they blessed me with their words. It, it just changes people's lives, but one idle word can keep you bound. I remember saying this, let me see if I can bring it back up right now, is that words could set you free or they could keep you bound. They could build you up or they could tear you down. You could beat my body, even assault me on the street, and it does not compare to an evil word spoken because those affect my beliefs. Now, my friends, their bodies are working, but their spirit has been broken because pain goes so much deeper than skin because of words that were spoken. So speak life and not death. Instead of curses, why don't you bless and take account of the words that you are speaking because with them, you release angels or demons. So look me in the eyes. You must do your part because sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will break our hearts. That was a little clip of it, of World War Three. And I just believe in the power of the words. We have to be so cautious and so careful with the words that we are speaking. Because like I said before, we are releasing angels or demons. So do your words point people forward or they move people backwards? We don't need more people that talk about how much they messed up, but how to get people back up. Come on, you don't need people to bombard you with their words to declare you know, how bad they are, but how good God is. That is what somebody does with the power of the words. There's power of life and death in the tongue, so speak life. Choose life and bless people instead of curse people. We are responsible verbally. Come on, I'm preaching right now. We are responsible verbally. So spiritually, emotionally, verbally, here's the fourth one, financially. I don't have a ton of time to go into this one, honestly, but there's been so many good teachings. I want you to go back and listen to the Legacy series. Go back on YouTube. Go back on podcasts, whatever you listen on. Go back to our channel on Connect Church on YouTube and go back and watch the Legacy series. If you want to get your finances in order, watch the Legacy series that our pastor, Pastor Derek Fry, said. Now, 
many, some, many people say, you know, this is an Old Testament concept, the principle of tithing. No, I'm telling you, you give God the opportunity to bless you. Watch him put your finances in order. You don't even have to make a lot of money. When God's blessing is on somebody, God's blessing is on somebody. I know that's not deep, but that's deep at the same time. I would much rather have 90% blessed in my hands than 100% all by myself. I want the, the favor of God and the windows of heaven to be behind me. Malachi chapter 3, verse 10, bring this tithe into the storehouse, and then the windows of heaven will open up for your life. Watch. Some people think, and some people say the theology is that that means that if you don't give God your tithe, your finances are cursed. That's not what we believe here. You can't be cursed and be in Christ. Being in Christ and being cursed, those are two oxymoronic things. You cannot be cursed if you are in Christ. But listen to me. What you are doing is you are robbing God of the opportunity to bless your life. Let me say that one more time because I think that's so important. You are robbing God of the opportunity to bless your life. Don't rob God. So this is what we do. We, as Christians, this is our flow. is give, save, live. The world goes like this. Live, save, maybe give. But we give first. We give God our trust. We give God our finances. We steward. We budget. We do all the practical things. We're going to go through. We have FPU starting pretty soon. So Financial Peace has already started, I mean. We're in the small group semester. Like, you need to go to Financial Peace University. It was incredible for Natalia and I. We are debt-free. God has blessed us financially. It's been amazing. But come on, poverty is not the will of God for your life. That is a word for somebody today. Poverty is not the will of God for your life. It's not. And so I don't need to be rich, but I do want to be blessed. Come on, I'm not ashamed of telling people you can be blessed. Come on, I want you to say it in the chat. Say, I am blessed. You are not, you're not broke, you're blessed. And so I want to declare that over you today. Financially, we have a responsibility. God's just not, not going to just plop money into your lap. He is a God of stewardship. He is a God, he does not bless people if they're not faithful with little things. Some of us are praying, God, just rain down a check on us. He's done so, so many times already, but because you don't properly take care of the money God gave you, he's not going to give you more. He is a God of stewardship. So we are responsible spiritually, emotionally, verbally, financially. Here's, here's a fifth one, culturally, culturally. Now I want to introduce you to a couple texts that you've familiarized yourself with, but I want to give you a little breakdown of them. Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, and Matthew 28. These are two different mandates God gives us in Scripture, in the Old Testament and the New Testament. So God blessed them and said to them, Genesis 1.28, Be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish and the sea, the birds of the air, and over every living creature that moves on the ground. This is called the cultural mandate. And so what God is saying is he's saying, I want you to create culture and I want you to create civilizations. It's a cultural mandate to go out into the world and create. To, to God created the world, but he also made us creative. And so the creator made creatives to create. That's the cultural mandate, that we go create culture and create civilizations. Now then here's the church mandate, Matthew 28, verse 19. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So we do three things. We create civilizations, we create cultures, cultural mandate. And the last thing we create is we create disciples. So we do everything for God's glory and people's good. Everything for God's glory and people's good. So we, that's the cultural mandate, to create civilization, to create culture, to do good work. But in, when, in your good work, don't forget 
that your real work is to reach people. Listen, you may not be a pastor at Connect Church, but you are the pastor of your job. Come on, you are the spiritual overseer. You are the shepherd of those people. Don't forget it. Your job might not be your mission, but your job is your mission field. Make no mistake about it. This is why you are on this planet, is to create culture, to create civilizations, the cultural mandate. But the church mandate is don't forget your real work is not making money. It's not just doing a job. It's doing a job so that you can reach people. That's where your real work is. It's the cultural mandate. It's the church mandate. So we have a responsibility culturally to reach people and to do good work for God's glory and for people's good. So everything for God's glory and people's good. Here's the last one is this. Another thing we are responsible for as believers to take stewardship and ownership of our lives, not blaming other people. Come on, pointing the, pointing the finger at ourselves. Less fingers and more thumbs, but generationally. So we have six, six key areas. This might not be an exhaustive list, but this is what I could see throughout Scripture. Spiritually, we are responsible. Emotionally, we are responsible. Verbally, come on. Financially, culturally. And last one, generationally. Now, I read this in a book recently. I thought it was so brilliant. I want you to write this down. It says, the old man will have what the young man leaves for him. I'll break this down. The old man will have what the young man leaves for him. In other words, in your old age, you will receive inheritance from what the young person did in their life. In other words, what you're doing in your now season will be the fruit in your next season. So that's why in your youth, young people, you work hard. Come on, your 20s, your teens are not for partying. They're for training. In your younger years, you learn it. In your mid-years, you earn it. And in your later years, you return it. That's what the, that's what the whole season of life is. Learning, earning, and then returning. That is why so many of us need to be intentional with the season of life that we are in now. And the Bible says very clearly, the mark of a good man, the mark of a wise man, the mark of a godly man or a godly woman is they leave an inheritance for their children's children. Now, here's what we do with that verse a lot of times. What we do with that verse often is we just think financially. Listen to me. What good is it to give your, your kids, the next generation, a house if you didn't give them the work ethic to build that house? If you didn't give them the work ethic or the character to understand how that house was even built. You don't just give people wealth. You give people wisdom. Come on, give them patience and principles. But then also give them property. It's all inclusive. And so this is why we do this. This is why we're intentional. This is why we're responsible. This is why we're intentional and learning and growing and personally growing and spiritually growing and making sure our emotions are healthy and making sure verbally we're speaking life and not death, taking care of our finances, culturally being responsible to reach people, to invest in the next generation, to serve at our church, to hold the door, to give tithes. That's because we are leaving a legacy. It's generationally. The young man leaves for the old man. The old man inherits what the young man gives him. We have to be intentional generationally. Um, my dad and I were in Florida. And we're getting trained right now. We're going to a thing called Pastors University with Pastor Larry Stockstill. He's a father in the faith. His goal and his plan and his vision from God was that he would train 100,000 pastors by the end of his life. Just incredible vision. Makes me, makes me want to just 
jump out my seat and be like, I need more vision because that's powerful. And we're the second class to ever go through this class. And so I think right now we have like 80 people in our class. He was telling a story of a pastor that had a moral failure. And he was telling the story saying that this pastor uh, was restored back into ministry in a couple years' time. It might have been a little bit less than that. And so this pastor, the one that had the moral failure, was investing in another pastor. And this younger pastor was just basically saying to the older pastor, he says, Pastor, I, uh, I don't know if I can keep doing this. Honestly, I kind of envy your story. That, yeah, I don't want to have a moral failure, but you got restored in, in, in short time. You're killing it now. You're speaking everywhere. And, like, God can restore that quick. And I just feel like that's the only way out. It's just to kind of sabotage myself because I can't get out. It was just such a deep, powerful, and sad story. And the older pastor says, son, you need to listen to me. He says, yes, I've been restored, but I lost so much. He says, there was one day my son came up to me. And he says, dad, I'm glad you're healthy. But with the 10,000 member church that I had, the influence, our name, what it meant to our community, you gave away my inheritance. The older pastor was telling the younger pastor this. You gave away my inheritance. That our name now has a blemish on it. And the older pastor was telling the younger pastor, you have no idea what I lost. Because I didn't have it morally together. Because I didn't take care of my soul. Because I didn't take care of my spirit. Because we were okay financially. But I didn't take care of my words. I lost so much. And God restored so much. But I lost so much. Listen to me. I wrote this down. Please don't be so valuable to the world that you are irrelevant to your family. This is what the Lord's been speaking to me. This is a word for Devin Fry more than anybody. And if you get blessed by it, thank God. But don't be so valuable to the world that you are irrelevant to your family. We have to think generationally. Where we pass down wealth and we pass down wisdom. And take responsibility for your life. Come on, we're we're not blame throwers. We're not just like Adam and Eve in the garden. Oh, it was, it was her fault. Oh, it was his fault. Oh, it was their fault. Oh, it's circumstance fault. No, take responsibility for your life. God has given you incredible amounts of gifts. He's given you blessings. He's given you favor. He's given you scripture. He's given you wisdom. He's given you a church. He's given you a community. He's given you mentors. What more does he need to give you? Take responsibility for your life. In these six categories, I hope, Something spoke to you and something clicked within you. And that God gave you a deep soul motivation that we need to be intentional with the things that God has given us. Going back to the story of Genesis, the Bible talks about how the first Adam, through one man's sin, death entered. But then it goes on in Romans chapter 5. For if by trespass of one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through one man, Jesus Christ. Here's what this means. Somebody asked this question uh, on gotquestions.org. Basically, biblical questions. A great resource for you. Somebody asked, how is it fair that because one person sinned, or two people sinned, that now all of us have this, has disease, and has death, and, and has curses upon our life? Why is it that one person sinned, and all of us are held responsible? What's the genius of God? You might think that that's a curse. No, that's a blessing because if one man did it and brought death into our life, then that means one man can cure it and bring life back and restore. 
And so because one man sinned and because the first Adam sinned and brought death, the second Adam in Jesus brought real life. That's Jesus. And what I see is Adam did not take responsibility for the sin that he committed. But what I see Jesus doing is Jesus took responsibility and said, I'll go to that cross. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Not my will, but your will be done. Essentially, he is saying, I didn't even cause this. I didn't do this. I didn't bring sin, curses, hell, death to this planet. But he says, I will take responsibility for it. And it wasn't even my fault. But he said, I'll take their faults. I'll take on that responsibility and I'll go to the cross and I'll pay for their penalty. I'll pay with my life. And that is what God did. Is we have a passive Adam, but we have a responsible Jesus. We had a passive Adam, but we have a responsible Jesus. Adam was a blame thrower. Jesus was a grace thrower. <laughs> this is our Jesus. And right now, I'm going to ask you to just receive that grace. I'm going to pray, and I'm going to ask you to click a button below in a minute, but I'm going to ask you to pray and receive Jesus as your personal Lord and say that, that you wouldn't take blame from other people, or you wouldn't blame other people, but you would start taking responsibility because Jesus models it for us. So many of us, this has been our lives, is we point fingers, but we don't point thumbs. And God wants to shift that in your life right now. And I'm going to ask you on the count of three, if that's you, that you would just click that button below and you, and you would have a conversation with some of our team in this chat today that you would take responsibility for your life. Take responsibility in these areas we talked about. Don't be like Adam. Don't be like Eve. Be like the second Adam in Jesus and take responsibility and watch. God will do miracles when you stop throwing blame at other people. Stop being a blame thrower and start taking responsibility. So one, Jesus loves you so much. He loves you so much. He died for you. He took responsibility for our sins, our shame, and our mistakes. It wasn't even his fault, but he took on our faults and took on that responsibility. Two, today's your day for salvation. Don't wait another minute. If that's you, would you shoot your hand up right now on three and just say, that's me. I need to give my life to Christ. If that's you, I want you to click that button. I want you to repeat this prayer after me. Say, Jesus, I repent of my sin. I repent of not taking responsibility for my mistakes, my shame, and my faults. I will take responsibility from this day forward. Not shifting blame, not throwing shade at other people, not blaming it on the devil, but right now I realize my biggest problem is me. And I want to get my relationships healthy. But if I want to win in relationships, I have to take responsibility for my life. And so, Father, right now, would you bless them with that? Holy Spirit, would you give them the strength? Would you give them strategy? And to be able to navigate all these different ways of relationships, all the different problems they're facing right now. Help us both uh, spiritually, emotionally, financially, verbally, culturally, and generationally. We want to leave a legacy in the earth like you did. Our model, our Jesus. You are not just our Savior. You are our example and our King. Thank you for leading us so well, God. We love you, Jesus. And it's your son's precious name that we pray. Amen and amen. Hey, listen, I hope this message spoke to you. I do have a homework assignment for you. I talked about my wife and I. We got into, a, into an argument. And honestly, this is what happened. I listened to her heart. 
And when I listened to her heart, God opened my eyes. And I recognized and I realized it wasn't her fault. It was mine. I realized that I was the issue, not her. And so for some of you, I know this is for a lot of people. I need you to say this, and I need you to pray about this, and I need you to act on this tonight. You need to go to your spouse, a friend, mom, dad, brother, sister, friend, boss, and you need to say these three words. I was wrong. Watch the relationship get restored. I'm telling you, you take responsibility, and God will do wonders. I love you so much. I can't wait for part two of the series. I hope you're here watching next week. Uh, Pastor Stacy's coming to bring an incredible message, and we're going to be together on week three. Can't wait. I love you guys so much.